You know, God has been uh, so gracious, so kind to, to leave us the light of his word. So this morning, we're going to open up his word. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9. And it's 41 verses here, and I'm going to read all 41 verses. So I need you to follow along. Pay attention the best you can. So that's the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. And it reads, it reads this way. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, and it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he, had how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents, hold on, lost my, uh, I know, I'm trying, trying to turn it. <laughs> Page is sticking together, all right. He said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. 
But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say you see, we see your guilt remains. This morning, the title of my sermon actually comes from verse 40. And that is this. It comes in the form of a question. Are we also blind? Are we also blind? Let's look to the Lord this morning in prayer for his help to understand this passage of Scripture. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being so gracious, for being so kind to leave us the light of your word. You haven't left us in the dark. You haven't left us to feel our way to you, but you've given us your word. And we pray, God, that as I preach your word, um, that I would do it with clarity, that I wouldn't be tempted to preach my own ideas, but that I would preach your word. For your word is what saves. Your word gives sight to the blind. And we ask, God, that, you would, that your word would do that this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Imagine suddenly your sight has been taken away from you. Right? You've been able to see up until this point some 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You've been able to see the beauty of God's creation. You've been able to identify people, shapes, colors, objects. But let's say all of a sudden, your sense of sight has been lost. One moment, everything is bright and clear. The next moment, complete darkness. Some people are legally blind. They can see objects and people, but they have trouble focusing um, those objects, keeping them in focus. Some people are totally blind. These are people who have lost their sight, and they have different experiences. Some see uh, sparks or experience visual hallucinations that take the form of recognizable shapes, random shapes, colors, flashes of lights. Some describe seeing complete darkness, like, like being in a cave. But there are others who have been born blind, who have been born blind at birth. They don't see. They never had sight. Think of it like this. If you were to close one eye with your open eye, you use that to focus on an object. Well, what does the closed eye see? Nothing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, we're introduced to a man that has been born blind. The text says in verse 1 that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. All he has ever known is darkness. This man has never seen light. He's never seen beauty. He's never experienced sight. Verse 2, the disciples, they asked Jesus the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let's pause for a minute. 
If we dig a little deeper into this question, we see that it reveals a legalistic perspective about life. Legalism characterized the religious system during Jesus' day. Now, what is legalism? Legalism is the attempt to earn God's favor through our good works, through our performance, through our ability to, to keep God's law. So the legalists, they view themselves as being deserving of God's blessing, being deserving of God's favor. The legalist says, look, if I can earn God's favor, if that's possible, by my performance, by my good works, then the more good I do, the better I perform, the more God owes me. God then becomes my debtor. The legalist thinks that they can put God in a position where God actually owes them something. And then the flip side is, if something bad happens, they say, well, it must have been because I've done something, something bad. I wonder who among us is guilty of legalism. Do you go through your daily life thinking that you can earn God's favor or that God owes you something? You know, Christians are not above being legalistic. You know, we can fall into this trap of thinking, because I faithfully attend church, because I hold a position in the church, because I pay tithes, because I take communion, because I've been baptized, because I choose to live intentionally in the neighborhood, that somehow God must reward me with something. He must owe me. Look what I'm doing, God. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. You, you owe me. Newsflash for you. You and I don't deserve anything from God. When, when the Christian has done his God-given duty, the Christian response, the Christian attitude should be, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We can do nothing to earn God's favor or blessing. Our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, this is what commends us to God. We're accepted, we're justified before God because of faith in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else, not your performance, not your ability to keep the law. But the disciples, they had drawn the conclusion that someone must have sinned. Or how else can you explain that this man was born blind? And this leads us to another question. Is the suffering we experience in this life directly related to our sin? Well, yes and no. First and foremost, we have to remember that this world that we were born into is broken. It's fallen. Sin has marred God's creation. Sin has caused suffering to come upon us all. Through one act of disobedience by Adam and Eve, Right, sin has caused suffering to come upon us all. And this suffering comes in various forms. That's why people die. That's why people get sick. That's why people have, uh, get infected with disease. That's why people are born blind, like this man uh, in the text. Now, sometimes when we sin, right, there are consequences that come with our sin. Not sometimes. When we sin, there are consequences that come with our sin. Now make no mistake about it, every temporal misfortune that we suffer, that's not a result of our personal sin. Every time we suffer something, every time a trial comes upon us, that does not mean that God is displeased with us. If, you, if this is your view of suffering, if you hold this legalistic view of suffering, I want to challenge you. 
this morning. I want us to have a biblical perspective about suffering, not the legalistic perspective that led to the disciples to ask this question that we see here in verse 2. The legalist says, God, how can you allow this trial to come my way? After all the, the good I've done, after all the years I've been faithful to you, you don't see me down here, God. Look what I'm doing. I don't deserve to suffer, God. Matter of fact, make the trial stop. Brothers and sisters, instead of having this legalistic view about suffering, we should take the time to consider that God has a greater purpose in mind for when we suffer. If we always plead for God to remove the trials when they come, and they will come, then we, make, we take a shortcut and we miss out on the display of God's glory in our trials. Listen to how Jesus answered his disciples' question. Verse 3 says, It was not that this man's sin or his parents. According to Jesus, this man's blindness has nothing to do with his sin or, or his parents' sin. His blindness had a far greater purpose. Jesus said that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus used this man's blindness to teach us a profound truth about something greater than, than uh, physical blindness. Jesus is teaching us about spiritual blindness. This man is a picture of us all. In this world, we were born into this world spiritually blind. Sure, you might have physical sight. Right? You're able to see me. But the Bible says, spiritually, we're blind. Spiritually, we're ignorant to the things of God. I think the prophet Isaiah, he said it best in Isaiah 53. He talks about our spiritual condition apart from Christ. He talks about the spiritual blindness. He says this in the first couple verses. He says, who has believed what he has heard from us? Into whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. You see, spiritual blindness, it results in unbelief. It results in a, a failure to, to not recognize the person and work of Jesus. When you're spiritually blind, you don't see the beauty in the glory of Christ. Jesus could be standing right in front of us. And if you're spiritually blind, you will somehow not be convinced that he is the Savior. He could do something that has never been done before, like healing a man that has been born blind, and you will somehow not be convinced that he is the Savior. You will find a reason to deny his person and his work. We see the spiritual blindness in our passage. Our text is broken down into six parts, six scenes. Scene one, verses one through seven, Jesus, he performs a miracle. That has never been done. He heals a man that has been born blind from birth. He tells, he anoints the man's uh, eyes with mud, tells him to wash in the pool at Salome. This man comes back, he's able to see. Scene 2, verses 8 through 12, the people react to this miracle. The neighbors of this blind man, they don't know what to make of this miracle. They're in like total disbelief. They don't even believe that he was the same man. Look at verse 8. It says, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Scene 3, verses 13 through 17, the people, they take this man to the Pharisees to kind of get, you know, to get their perspective about things. Now, for those of you who don't know the Pharisees, right, they were the, the religious system, the religious leaders during Jesus' day. They were the, the spiritual elite 
during Jesus' day. Now, they were very hostile towards Jesus. They had no love for Jesus. And the reason they, they hated Jesus was because he simply told them the truth about themselves. He told them that they were sinners. He condemned their hypocrisy. He condemned their self-righteousness. Now the blind man, he tells the Pharisees that, look, Jesus is the one who healed me. Now, right at the start, the Pharisees have determined that Jesus is guilty because this miracle was performed on the Sabbath. And you know how the Pharisees reacted. to They reacted negatively towards anyone who they thought violated their man-made regulations concerning the Sabbath. Not God's law concerning the Sabbath, but their man-made regulations concerning the Sabbath. In no way did Jesus violate God's law concerning the Sabbath when he healed this man on the Sabbath. Because God never prohibited good works to be done on the Sabbath. God never prohibited um, acts of mercy to be done on the Sabbath. But you see, the Pharisees, they had placed their traditions over the word of God. They had added their man-made regulations to the word of God. Look at verse 16. We see the Pharisees, their response to Jesus. They say this, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Here it is, Jesus has just performed this great miracle, something that has never been done before. He heals this man born blind, but yet they fail to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the one sent from God. They were spiritually blind. You see, this morning, I wonder, who do you say Jesus is? Do you recognize his work? Do you recognize his power? Do you recognize him as both Lord and Savior? And not just recognize, but are you believing in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Let me propose this thought to you this morning. In this world, our greatest need is not physical or or material blessings. If we were all born physically blind, our greatest need wouldn't be physical sight. Now, make no mistake about it, we can all agree that being born blind is is a terrible thing, right? Sickness is a terrible thing. Any any debilitating condition is a terrible thing. Poverty, a terrible thing. Injustice is a terrible thing. Acts Acts of violence are terrible things. But something that is far worse than all these things that I just mentioned is our spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ, and that is spiritual blindness. Therefore, our greatest need is not physical, but it's spiritual. As sinners, we need our spiritual eyes open. And who can do such a thing? Who is able to heal us of our miserable condition? Well, the same person who is able to give this this blind man his physical sight is the same person that is able to give us spiritual sight. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. Jesus is the only one that can heal us of our spiritual blindness. And that is the main point that I want to communicate to you this morning. Only Jesus, the one who is the light of the world, has the power to give sight to the blind. Now the question I want you to consider this morning. Again, it comes from verse 40 of our text. It's the title of my sermon. 
It's the question that the Pharisees mockingly asked Jesus. Are we also blind? This is the question that we have to ponder this morning. Are we also blind? In other words, are you spiritually blind? Jumping back to our text at the end of scene three, we see that the crowd is divided. Verse 16, the Pharisees, they declare that Jesus is guilty of breaking the Sabbath. So in essence, they're calling Jesus a sinner. But others in the crowd, they say, well, how can a man who, who is a sinner do such signs? This leads the Pharisees to interrogate the blind man. Verse 17, Pharisees, they ask the blind man the question. They say, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? The man responds, well, he's a prophet. The Pharisees they, they, they wasn't satisfied with, with, with his answer. They refused to believe that Jesus was the one sent from God. Scene 4 picks up, verses uh, 18 through 23. Here we see the Pharisees, they try to disprove this miracle. They now question the parents about the, the man's blindness. Look at verse 19. They ask, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Parents respond, they respond, well, hey, we don't know how he sees. He's an adult. He's of age. Ask him. Now, let me draw your attention to verse 22. It says this. They said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. We see during this time that believing in Jesus and publicly confessing that belief, it, it came with consequences. It was not the popular thing to do. You could be kicked out of the synagogue. You could be alienated. You could be cut off religiously and, and socially. We need to be reminded, church, that following Jesus will never be the popular thing to do in this world. It could cost you comfort. It will cost you your reputation. It, it may even cost you your life. And I want, I want to know this morning, when was the last time you counted the cost? Following Jesus is costly. When was the last time you counted that cost? The Pharisees, they have been unsuccessful to this point with, with their attempts to try to discredit Jesus. So they continue on in their investigation. They know at this point that they're stuck. Let's look at scene five. Uh, verses 24 through 34. So they call a man again to interrogate him. They know at this point, right, they're stuck. They can't disprove this miracle. This miracle is undeniable. God's work is undeniable. So they can't disprove it. But on the other hand, they can't acknowledge that Jesus is the one that has been sent from God. Because if they acknowledge that, then they have to admit that Jesus is right about the fact that they're sinners. They have to admit that Jesus is right about their hypocrisy, about their self-righteousness. So they make one more effort and try to convince this man to slander Jesus' character. Look at verse 24. They said to the man, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They wanted the man to admit that Jesus is a sinner. Now let's stop there for a minute. The Pharisees were convinced that the Holy One, the Messiah, is a sinner. Church, do you see how deceptive sin is? Sin has blinded them. It has twisted their minds. And we shouldn't be surprised because this is what sin does to people. 
It leaves them confused. It leaves them spiritually ignorant. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Pharisees, their foolishness is going to be clearly exposed by this blind man, by his simple logic. Look at verse 25. He says, and this is the blind man talking, he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. In other words, this, this blind man is saying, look, I don't know what y'all are talking about. All I know is I was blind, but now I can see. That sounds a lot like the, the lyrics to Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Church, we should be praising God right now for the fact that he has opened our eyes. For the fact that we have spiritual sight. Don't sit up here and, and think that you've always been able to see things spiritually. At one time, your eyes were blinded, just like the Pharisees. At one time, the gospel was nothing but folly to you. At one time, Christ had no beauty that you should desire him. Your minds were blinded, and you were kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now look at you here, praising God, being obedient to Christ. His grace is truly amazing. Look at verse 26. He questioned the man again about his sight. They asked, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So verses 30 through 33, the man, he responds to that question with, with a little bit of sarcasm. Right? He's in total shock. He's, he cannot believe that all the evidence that the Pharisees have in front of them that testifies to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, despite all of this evidence, they still refuse to believe. They just can't believe it. Look how, look, look how he outwits them. Rever, uh, verses 31 through 33 says this. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It's like they're saying, look, you, you can't be serious. You, you really don't know where this man is from? Like, look what he's just done to me. You see, this blind man was right about, about the fact... In one sense, he agrees with the Pharisees, right? He says, he says this. He says, you're right to believe that a sinner couldn't perform such a great miracle, right? Because God doesn't listen to sinners. Therefore, the reason why he was able to perform this miracle is because he's from heaven. He is the Messiah. He's the sent one. So this blind beggar is able to see what the spiritually elite, what they can't see. The scene five draws to a close. The Pharisees, they decide to cast, to cast him out of the synagogue. So this means he has been removed from fellowship at the synagogue. He's been cut off socially and religiously. And the reason why was because he stated the clear and obvious truth 
that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the sent one. This man is a model for us, right? When people press in on us, when they press in on us and try to get us to deny the claims that Christ has made of himself, we must insist that he is the Savior. We must insist that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Look, don't believe these preachers who present this false Christianity to you. They present a false Jesus to you, one that will make all your problems go away. They tell you that following Jesus will make life easier. That's ridiculous. God has never promised no such thing. Jesus tells us, look, don't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. We follow a rejected Messiah, which makes us a rejected people. But church, following Jesus is so worth it. The psalmist, he puts it this way. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Have you experienced this joy? Let's look at our last scene, scene six, verses 35 to 41. Jesus, he gets word that this man has been cast out. And what does Jesus do? Well, he does what he always does. He goes to the outcast. We see this in uh, verse 35. Jesus, he finds the man. Verse 35. Now, something we have to note here. If, if, if you notice, this man wasn't looking for Jesus. Right? Verse 35 simply says, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him. Do you see God taking the initiative here? We see this divine initiative at the beginning of the passage. Right? Jesus is just passing by. He takes notice of the blind man. He performs this miracle. He heals him without, without any persuasion, without any pride, and without any encouragement. He heals him. He gives him his sight. Now, in the same way, we see Jesus seeking him out in this moment to give him spiritual sight, which was his greatest need. Verse 35, Jesus asked the man a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, Jesus is saying, have you put your faith in the Son of God? Have you come to trust in him? Are you committed to following him no matter what? Are you willing to turn from your futile attempts to earn your salvation and turn to Christ alone? Look at verse 36. The man responds with a question. It reads, it says this, and who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus says to the man, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Now, this is the same man who wasn't able to see anything, but now his eyes have been opened, and he's staring right at the Messiah. He has beheld the Savior. And look at his response. And this is the, re- this is the response when we encounter Jesus. Verse 38. It says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, let's apply all of this real quick. Two application points I want to leave with you, and I'll be out of your way. First one, if you know that you're spiritually blind, then Jesus will give you sight. If you you know that you're spiritually blind, Jesus will give you sight. Let's say you're walking around with cancer, right? You don't know it. You know, the symptoms are not, are not there. Right? Someone walks up to you and they say, well, hey, you should go down to the street, follow me down to this clinic. They, they're giving out the cure for cancer. Now, in your mind, you think everything is all right. So you're not going to go down there, but then you're going to miss out 
on the cure. Why would I go to a clinic if I'm walking around assuming that everything is fine with me? Look, only someone who realizes that they're sick would long for a cure. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Only someone who is blind would long for sight. Before we can receive spiritual sight, we must first acknowledge that we need it. Did you notice how Jesus pointed out the blind man need a spiritual sight? It happens really fast. Look at, look at verse 35. This is why Jesus asked him the question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Essentially, Jesus is asking the question, do you recognize your need for a Savior? Do you recognize your need for spiritual sight? Spiritually, we are blind, but at the same time, we must recognize our condition. We must recognize our need for a Savior. Once we understand this truth, then we will long for spiritual sight. We come running to Jesus with the hope, with the hope that he will heal us of our pitiful condition. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, look, I'm glad that you're here. But if you're not a Christian, that means spiritually you are blind. Do not walk out of here without receiving your sight. Turn to the Savior. Come to him in faith and receive your sight. Receive the gift that is eternal life. Receive the gift that is, uh, that is salvation. Point number two. Now be out of your way after this. If you think that you can see, if you think that you can see spiritually, you fail to recognize your blindness and you will continue to be blind. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of the, of the Titanic. It's the early morning hours, April 15, 1912. Uh, this big, luxurious ship, right, hit an iceberg, and it sank. Now, it is said that the captain of the Titanic refused to believe that the ship was in trouble until it was, it was too late, until water was like ankle deep in, in, in compartments of the ship. Now, only then was it apparent that the ship had been pierced and that this once unsinkable ship was going down. And the ship's that could have been summoned earlier to help them by the time they were summoned, it was, it was too late. Let's look at verses 40 through 41, 40 and 41. It says this, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. The Pharisees, they, they are blind to the fact that they are sinners. Right? The Pharisees have rejected the one who gives light to all men. They have rejected the light of the world. They refuse to come to the light because they prefer darkness. They like living in darkness. They love the darkness. They were satisfied with themselves. They thought themselves to be keepers of God's law, but they failed to see how infected they were with sin. Being the religious leaders, they say, we see. Look, we fine. We're not blind. We're not sinners. But you see, Jesus says to them, all, he says to them, and not only them, but to all those that are spiritually blind. He says, since you claim to see, since you claim to be righteous already, externally, then your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. 
To quote S. Lewis Johnson, he says this, And that which makes man so pitiful in his state is that he is for the most part blind to his sin. When there is no recognition of sin, there is no perceived need of the saving cross of Christ. You see, one of the great promises God has given to his people is found in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7. And I'll close here. Isaiah chapter 52, verses 6 and 7, it says this. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Brothers and sisters, we were born in the darkness of sin and unbelief. But Jesus has come to give us light. But the Pharisees, they they missed him because they couldn't recognize, they couldn't perceive their own blindness. If you haven't repented, if you haven't put your faith in the Savior, your guilt remains. And that means you will blindly walk yourself right into hell at the end of the age. Church, do you recognize your need for Christ? Look, dirty people, they desire to be clean, right? Hungry people desire your food. I'm hungry right now. Right after service is over, I plan on getting something to eat. Thirsty people desire to drink. And only those who recognize that they are sinners will long for the Savior And they will seek him, and they will find him. And he will give them sight. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you this day just for your goodness, God. We thank you for your promise 